Good evening. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Katerina is going to come tell us our joke now. Cat alcoholic? I screamed at my neighbor, what on earth are you doing on the roof? He screamed back, I saw you at the bar and you said the drinks were on the house. Thank you, Kat. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Theory. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that might make noise and will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everyone ready? See you on the other side. Thank you. 
please follow along with the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, we have it up here or behind the chairs in front of you. God, let your love shine through me like a fog. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have found a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. We have another podcast listener um, all the way from London today, and he's going to come up and read the spiritual experience for us. Uh, His name is Michael. Um, Let's welcome him up here. Mike B. from London, England. Hey, Mike. The spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheaval. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it is not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational varieties, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often friends of the newcomer are aware of the differences long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unexpected inner resource, which they presently identify as their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are essential of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics, pages 567, 568. 
Thank you, Michael. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn them off. We're also going to be closing the coffee portion uh, area for this portion of the meeting. Uh, tonight is Joe's last session. Uh, it's been an honor to, to be over here the past 12 weeks and, and to listen to your story. I know that you're somebody with a passion for this program, and it, and it shows through your action and through your words. Um, so it's, it's been my pleasure. Last week, Joe talked about um, everybody or most of us having an Evie Thatcher who, who we saw out there. Maybe we grew up with them, and we saw recovered, and we couldn't really explain it. And, and that led to a lot of us giving this program a shot. Funny enough, uh, last Thursday night, I'm, I'm at home working on my inventory, and uh, my Evie Thatcher gives me a call. And he had moved to Seattle, and he was moving back down, and he just came in last night. And I think that's so cool. I, I don't really believe in coincidence an, anymore, so I believe that's God. Um, please help me welcome Joe. Thanks, Terry. You're welcome, bud. Love you, buddy. Love you, too. All right. Alcoholic, my name's Joe. Hi, everybody. Wow, so bittersweet. I was telling Heather and earlier that, you know, it's, it's bittersweet because y'all are so fortunate to have this meeting on Thursday night put on by Mike and his cast here, the, 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 the leaders of leaders and champions of AA that are the finest anywhere. Um, those things are pretty bright tonight, pal. I'm going to get my sunglasses. Um, but, Mike, thank you from the bottom of my heart for inviting me back. It's been uh, about a year. And, um, but it is bittersweet. The, the, the good news is, is I get to talk about God all night tonight. So if that's going to make you uncomfortable, you probably should leave. This whole thing is about him. This whole thing is about the spiritual awakening. You know, whether it's in London, whether it's in South Florida, whether it's any part of the world, the book is the same, the results are the same, the process is the same, and, uh, you know, it's just something that I hold so dear in my heart that I would defend it with my life. It didn't used to be that way, right? Now, before we get started, I would like to uh, read my own joke. Mike, we good with that? Some of you may have heard this, but it's about a new priest at his first Mass, and he was so nervous he could hardly speak. So after Mass, he asked uh, the Monsignor how he had done, and uh, the Monsignor replied, when, when I'm worried about getting nervous on the pulpit, I put a glass of vodka next to the water glass. If I start to get nervous, I just take a sip. So the next Sunday, he took the Monsignor's advice. And at the beginning of the sermon, he got nervous, and he took a drink. He proceeded to talk up a storm. Upon his return to his office after the Mass, he found the following note on his door. Father, sip the vodka. Don't gulp. There are ten commandments, not twelve. There are twelve disciples, not ten. 
Jesus was consecrated, not constipated. (laughs) Jacob wagered his donkey. He did not bet his ass. (laughs) David slew Goliath. He did not kick the shit out of him. Excuse my mind. Next Sunday, there will be a taffy pulling contest at St. Peter's, not a Peter pulling contest at St. Taffy's. (laughs) We do not refer to the cross as the big T. We do not refer to Jesus as the late J.C. When David was hit by a rock and knocked off his donkey, don't say he was stoned off his... The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are not referred to as Daddy Junior or Spook. I actually heard that at a big book seminar. All right. So, you know, as I was listening to uh, the spiritual experience being read, it always, it always warms my heart um, because there's, there's, there's so much unveiled in there. You know, the radical changes that he says take place in the first few chapters. You know, they, they, they describe, Bill describes his spiritual experiences, this, this, this several moments where he was in his hospital room on his third detox. And, uh, you know, he felt as though the wind of a, that the, the wind blew through him, through and through, and he's on a mountaintop. And uh, so we get these terms. These, these, we have the term spiritual experience, which is described as something sudden and profound. William James talked about that in his book, Varieties of Religious Experience. I recommend it to everybody. And then we talk about the spiritual awakening, which the majority, the majority of us have, which is something slow and gradual and of the educational variety. And um, I like to say that my... Spiritual awakening will culminate the day I die. But within it are thousands and thousands of spiritual experiences. These aha moments, these times when my reality expands where truth is inserted where there was none. Where the way I thought it was wasn't the way it was and a truth is inserted into it, right? Kind of sounds like this. Oh, oh, what? No, really? That kind of thing. Boom. And all of a sudden, you take on a whole new, it takes on a whole new meaning. It's kind of what happens with the step process. You know, we don't, it, it's very difficult to, to realize what's happening in the midst of it. But once, once we get to the other side of it and we look back, we go, of course, of course. And once we get to the other side of it, we go, there's no way I could have gotten me there. It's impossible. There's no way I thought like that. There's no education. There was no formal training for me to get from this point to this point where old attitudes, ideas, and beliefs that dominated my thinking that were anchored and entrenched in the ways of the world, in material things, in the ways of the world, were suddenly cast aside. Or even gradually cast aside. That awakening thing, you know, as we work this process, they get supplanted, right? We have these old ways of being, these, these, you know, these um, hardened pieces about us that are just so selfish and self-centered and greedy and lustful and prideful and defensive and, you know... Uh, judgmental and, and just all those things we covet, we, we, we envy, we, we, all these things that we just start to formulate as our constitution, these rules or guidelines. Rules and guidelines and principles can be good and they can be really bad. 
We can harbor a constitution of principles of nothing but selfish and self-centered, self-consumed principles. Right? But this process allows us to have those removed and supplant them with a whole new set. They say this spiritual experience that, you know, because we come in, we have to get to a, we have to get to an understanding. We have to concede to our innermost self, to our innermost self, not what somebody else's experience is, but what mine is in relation to the, the information that they're giving us in the book. Do I suffer from the allergy to alcohol? Do I have that abnormal reaction to the beverage alcohol that says when I put it in my body, I can't stop or moderate? Is that my truth? Is that real for me? I know it's real for the people that say it's real for them, but is it my experience? Is it a proven fact by me that that happens, not just some of the time, every single time? And when I put it in, I can't stop and I can't moderate. I can't control it. That abnormal reaction to the beverage alcohol, right? Well, absolutely. There's no doubt about that conclusion. I have irrefutable evidence with, without any reservation that it, ha- that it happened every single time. No matter what I said I was going to do, right? No matter what I said I was going to drink. No matter why I said I was going to drink. But that's not the worst part about this deal. The worst part about it is when I'm not drinking and I, and I have this conversation with myself that that's not going to happen this time. After thousands of times... An absolute proof in my life that there's no way I'm going to be able to control it or moderate when I begin, when I ingest it. That something happens within my body that they describe this physiological demand for more. Against my will, I can't stop. Right? Knowing that information and then telling myself and and, and convincing myself that it's not so. There's a reason that I convince myself there's a reason that I can tell a lie and convince myself that that's not going to happen and it's always pre it's always preceded by the internal condition that I have developed and harbored for years and years and years by the wreckage I've caused from my alcoholism the things I do to people the relationships I completely tear apart burn down by my selfishness my self-centeredness my self-consumption, my self-absorption, right? That I have all these things that I've done, the ghosts, the demons, that are haunting me on the inside. They come in the form of regret, shame, remorse, guilt, feeling like a failure, feeling like a loser, feeling like I'm never going to accomplish this thing. Never going to stop drinking. I'm never going to be able to live that, live my t- potential. Everybody's done with me. I have nobody that I can call. I've become the lone wolf. Are they ever going to acknowledge me as their father again, or their, their brother again, or as their son again? Are they ever going to trust me again? Are they ever going to look at me as my potential, or are they always going to look at me as my past? Shame, regret. You know what the worst part of carrying around that internal condition is? Coming into AA and pretending like it's not there. Because I'm sure if you knew that about me, that you'd feel about me the way I feel about me, which is like a zero. So I pretend. 
I start that masquerade. I start pretending like it's not real. How you doing? I'm good. Doing good today. And be dying inside. That will always proceed. Always. That obsession winning every single time. See, that leads me into the obsession. That leads me into the absolute demand from every port of my body that I need ease and comfort. I've needed ease and comfort since I was a kid. Not just since I was drinking, but it accelerated from there forward. Ease and comfort. Silkworth said it and he nailed it. We drink because we like the effect. Well, what is that? Ease and comfort. He's talking about an undrunk or undrugged person being restless, irritable, discontent, coming in here with the internal condition that we've been harboring for years, pretending to everybody else that it's not real, that it doesn't exist. I want you to think of me like, you know, I got it together, like I'm not falling apart and I'm not in a thousand pieces, so I hide it all, right? And I'm restless, irritable, discontent. That's my natural state at that point. Undrunk. Unless I can again experience a sense of ease and comfort that comes in a split second by taking a drink. It's on my mind. My sponsor says that's at the point where I start to consult with the idiot. One half selling, the other half buying. Jeez, you know, nobody will know. It'll be different this time. And have everything to lose. Everything. Any kind of trust I may have built back up, any kind of acknowledgement I may have built back up, any job, any money, any any possessions that I may have gotten in my brief abstinence, even in that state. It'll be different this time. Nobody will know. Imagine you imagine us in and of ourselves telling ourselves nobody's gonna know. Like we don't count. Doesn't matter. But if that's going on, the only thing that my mind can think of is what that booze did for me and not what it just did to me. That's an untreated alcoholic mind. And I walked around for 16 years with one. Conceding to my innermost self that I truly am an alcoholic and can't manage my own life. That means can't manage my thinking. You see, life and thinking are, are, are synonymous. I can't manage my thinking, so my life is a reflection of that. Everything in my past, every bit of my past, is nothing more than a snapshot of my thinking. It all is born in thought. Everything. And it's filtered through ideas, beliefs, attitudes. Everything that I know. I don't have them from that which I don't know. I have it from what I know, or have learned, or have experienced. So my thinking is is hardwired into disruption. Dismal failure. If I'm a real alcoholic and I have evidence, I have, we all have evidence. I have evidence, right? So if I know that, and I know that my my thinking is unmanageable, that I don't react like rationally to things. One of those things is a perfect example is wanting everybody to give me credit for my intentions when they're watching me, saying, "No, no, that may have been your intention, but you did that." Then we want credit for our intentions and not judgment for our actions. Right? To know that and concede that to my inner myself. When he says that we will eventually succumb to the desire, give in, 
The desire, I believe, is just nothing more than the appetite or the obsession of the mind, the lie that I'm telling myself. When I've given in, I've ingested it, and the phenomenon of craving develops. They know it's not a phenomenon anymore. It's a real deal physiological thing that sets up in our body. I go through that stage, right? That stage, whatever that stage is, it's tragic. It's tragic. It's painful. Emerging remorseful. God Almighty, did he know us? Remorseful. Never do that again. I'm so sorry. Just nauseating vomit. Please forgive me again. I know I said I wasn't going to do it again. Unless this person undergoes an entire psychic change, it's like a thinking change, right? You're talking about the mind here. Old attitudes, ideas, and beliefs. If I'm not under willing to, if I'm not willing to undergo that, and know exactly what's on the table, I mean that's pretty monumental. That's big stuff. There's very little hope of my recovery. And at that moment, that aha moment, that part of my spiritual awakening. When I finally got that explained to me by a man that was the most was the most instrumental man in my life, John, he's passed on now. When I finally got that, I knew why I couldn't recover. See, I didn't know how or have the ability or the education or the knowledge to get that. All I got was this. <laughs> A miserable life, wanting to die, hating my guts, self-loathing, self-disgust. I hated me. That's what I got. That, that's, that's, all the, that's the sum total of my ability, talent, skills in the realm of effective thinking. Right? This is what I got. Pretending everybody it's not there. Right? When I finally got that, it became clear to me. How do I get that? I got to get one of those. How do you do that? Well, that's exactly what the book is all about. That's what it says in the book. That's exactly what this book is all about. Wow. It's so there for every one of us. But we will, some of us just die trying to figure out a different way, don't we? God, I did. 16 years in and out of AA, living over here on Broward Boulevard, homeless. All my earthly possessions in a public's bag, aimlessly wandering nowhere, college-educated, great family. That was me, walking around in and out of this place and that place and wherever place that would give me a shower and a meal with untreated alcoholism, thinking that abstinence was the key. Accident, abstinence led to failure, if that's the philosophy you're living by, right? That I can assure you. Abstinence is important. It's critical. We can't begin without it. But it's not the solution. The solution is a spiritual awakening. So I have to concede this to my innermost self as truth. as part. It's got to land in there, right? The other piece of this thing is, is that, well, you know, I tried to find another human power to relieve me of my alcoholism. I, I chewed them up, spit them out. I used everybody. You want to help me? Great. You want to help me? Great. What are you going to do, Joe? I don't know. I think I got to get into a hospital or a detox or something. I don't know. You know, help me, rescue me, do me. I was pathetic. I was. I swear to God. I, I can't even imagine how I must have looked to my family. They, they must have just been, you know, what are we going to do? 
Talk about powerlessness. Right? Well, I had to be convinced that no human power could relieve me of my alcoholism or my thinking. You see, they could not keep me stopped. They could help get me stopped. They could assist me in getting stopped if I had the desire to do so. But they could never keep me stopped. You see, if I never worked on that internal condition to rectify the tragedy going on on the inside, I was always going to be led to ease and comfort through alcohol or drugs. Always. I couldn't live with myself. Right? But I had to become convinced, don't we? We just got to get convinced to concede to my innermost self that no human power could keep me stopped. Well, the evidence was clear. And it's clear for every single one of us. There's no vagueness to this. No human power could keep us stopped or relieve us from alcoholism. The day would come. The internal condition would precede the obsession of the mind, winning out. The lie would come. Didn't stay, didn't matter what we stood to lose. Everything could be on the table. And for the sake of a foolish idea, it'll be different this time. Nobody will know. God, I'll just do a little of that. I won't do that. I'll do whatever. I would negotiate with myself. Barter with myself. What an idiot. But that's the condition. A Martian could come down from Mars and say, dude, you're certifiably insane. Right? So when I got convinced of that, it was pretty easy at that point. It was about turning my will and my life, my thoughts and my actions, over to the care of God. Now listen, I had an issue with that, I, just like a lot of people. I thought I had done that when I got, you know, when I was in parochial schools, grade school and high school. I thought I, thought I did that deal. I thought I was just like, like you know, segued right in. Like, because you're this, you're like, you're in. Right? Never once did I attempt to ever develop myself into a man that God would be pleased with, ever. I never sought that walk, ever. I was a man in the world and a man of the world, and that was just who I was. And oh yeah, by the way, I don't, didn't disbelieve him, didn't disacknowledge him, just didn't have a relationship with him. Never sought to have one. But at this point, my life is hanging in the balance. What's the alternative here? If I don't say, if I don't make this decision, now see, I don't have to figure it out because they're talking about getting something that would represent Y and all I've gotten and all I've produced was X by my thinking. But when I make that decision to seek this, a relate, uh, to, to turn my will and my life over to his care, First of all, what I'm doing inadvertently is firing myself. It's like I'm stepping into the mirror and firing that idiot that's looking back at me from running my life anymore. Why? Because I suck at it. I mean, I really, I got evidence here of what I've been able to produce. At that moment, I started to get relief. At that moment, the dependence on somebody or something else was a relief off me. I didn't have, you know what I mean? It's kind of like you can almost go with this mindlessly for a minute. God, I have to figure it out. What do I got to do, John? What should I do today? How, how do I do this thing? You know? When we make that decision, it's, 
I was informed, I was informed that, that, that no matter what decision you make in life, it's only a valid decision if you validate it with action. I can decide to do a lot of things and take no action. And they're just some of those more things that I wanted to be recognized for, those damn intentions, you know. Nice intention, Joe. How long have you been on that third step? Oh, six months. What? What? That's not a decision. That's like something I just get to say that might sound good to somebody that doesn't know. Right? No. If I make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, I've got to take some action. And the book's got it all written down. There's no, you don't have to make anything up. If you've got a sponsor that knows this process and has worked this process, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to acknowledge where it says in the book what's going to get in the way of making that decision. What's going to impede your progress? Well, it's that guy looking in the mirror, the actor who wants to run the whole show, always trying to control life to suit his means, to suit his ways, you know, always wanting to be right. Always wanting to have everybody do what he wants. Always wanting everybody in the world to, to operate by his script. That, by the way, I get up and write every day. This is how the world's going to be. This is, how this is all my expectations of how things are going to go. This is how everybody's going to respond. Boom, 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 boom. And I wonder why I go out of, out of my mind. Nobody does. You know what's, what the problem with that is when you write your script? Everybody else is walking around with their own script. And they say it's a battle of the instincts, a battle of the desires, a battle of the appetites. I want mine, you want yours, we got a problem. Right? This makes so much sense. When you just, I I think what I had to do was relinquish on what I thought I knew. Because people would talk about this and I'd be filtering it out of my attitudes and my ideas and my beliefs, my old belief system. I see you. What are you talking about? What do you mean you can't think about five years? Of course you got to think about. They say. They caution me about what will impede my progress with this. And it's just simply me and my addiction to the world. And my control. And wanting everybody to behave the way I want them to behave. But then they say. That we, we do this third step prayer where I'm going to offer my life to him unreservedly, complete abandon. Now, at that point, I don't know if anybody was like me, but I'm like, oh, no, wait a minute. I got conditions on this thing. What gave me the right, given my evidence, to have conditions on anything? My life, my, the literal breath in my life was hanging in the balance. I was dying of alcoholism. And now I want to negotiate? What do you mean you got to do this thing with God? What do you mean you're talking? I didn't remember a week before when I was living on the street, almost dying. See, for an alcoholic or a drug addict, I guess if you're not an alcoholic or a drug addict or suffer from addiction, you could probably negotiate this thing and you wouldn't come too, get too, you know, too beaten up too badly. But we'll die if we drink. We go down. What have I got to lose? 
How well was I doing? How well was what I was doing or the, the, the position I held or the argument that I had about this God thing? How well was that working out for me? I was dying. Right? So they say, if you can take that position, all sorts of remarkable things are going to follow. So here's the thing. They say that once we've made this decision, next, like the very next thing, the instruction, there's clear-cut instructions. These aren't suggestions. Like, I mean, if you want the spiritual awakening, you've got to follow directions. I guess we could, you know, take a suggestion of joining AA and going to AA meetings and, and hopefully staying stopped for a while without doing this. Things will definitely get better if I stop drinking. That's, that's for sure. The cops will, you know, probably stop pulling me over. And I can relapse, or I, I say detox. I don't even, you got to be sober to relapse. you got to relapse from something. All I did was detox and retox. Right? But I could do that 300 days a year. Still walk back into AA, and they'd welcome me with open arms. Say, hey, glad you're back. Glad you didn't die out there. And I could still be a member. But if I want to recover from the hopeless condition of mind and body, that is absolutely not only destroying me, but killing everybody I know. I must follow instructions. What's the alternative? Dead man walking. Dead man walking. Right? I didn't get sober to be miserable. I wanted to feel a fire. I wanted to feel a passion for life. I wanted to fall head over heels in love with this program of God. I wanted to have intimate, authentic, empowering, enlightening relationships with other people of like mind. That's what I wanted. And that's what I got. But the first thing I had to do next was this inventory. I had to delve in. I had to do this. I had to do the deep dive. I had to go in and see what was broken. Because up until that point, y'all were the broken ones. Y'all were the problem. It was me the whole time. So I listed these resentments and these fears and harms and sexual harms. And I looked what I did to people. I got to be the good little victim in the beginning because that's how it's set up. What did, who was it? What did they do? What did it affect? Well, that was easy. I could tell you exactly what you did to me to make my life miserable. But then I had to talk about where I set the ball rolling. You know, where, was my, where was I account? What decisions did I make based on me that later placed me in a position to be hurt? That actually broke and blew up the relationship. I came in here with no intimate, authentic relationships at all. Not even with the guy in the mirror. I didn't even know who I was or what I stood for anymore. I was just a consummate actor. The, the fraud, the phony, the masquerader. That was me. All I wanted you to do was think I was somebody because I felt like such a zero. It was all fraud. So I got it all down. I, you know, I saw that, I, you know, that I, 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 I manipulated people. I deceived them. I was incredibly inconsiderate. I was a habitual liar. How it works talks about being constitutionally incapable. 
They say that the Constitution of a man or woman is not a document in Washington, D.C., that we actually harbor a Constitution in our philosophy of effective living, and it consists of rules, guidelines, and principles by which we govern our life. This come from, this place we stand that is unapproachable. It's who we are, right? It's our core. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I got here, it was filth. We can have really bad constitutions, and we can have really good constitutions. This whole thing's about incorporating spiritual principles into a brand new constitution and discarding the old. So now I'm in that courage stage, and I'm looking at me. I'm looking at who you got when I showed up on the scene. And for the first time in my life, I stopped saying, God, why is my life so screwed up? I used to say that all the time. Why is this always happening to me? Why does today look just like yesterday and just like last year, just like a decade ago? Why am I just feeling like dying? I went from that conversation to going, oh, my God. How could my life be any other way, given who I was with you? Impossible. It was destined, it was predestined by me to ensure destruction with you. It was it's just the way it was. Couldn't have happened any other way. So for the first time in my life, not only did I see who you got when I showed up on the scene, but I saw what needed to change. For the first time. It wasn't you, it was me. It was my defects of character. And I saw how all those things and the things that I did contributed to that internal condition in the first place. The regret and the shame and the fear and the remorse and the loneliness and the guilt. All that stuff that never went anywhere. Matter of fact, when I came to AA, it went off the charts. It was deafening. And I was still trying to pretend it didn't exist to you. God forbid you knew. God forbid you exposed any of that and thought of me the way I thought of me. God forbid. Terrified. I had to drink. Drinking and drugging was my solution. It wasn't my problem. It was the solution to that. And I did the deep dive in five. And for the first time I looked at not just the harms, but the hurt. The violations the hearts that were ripped out, the trusts that were ruined, the hemorrhaging that I caused within, the brokenness. The brokenness. I came in here, in truth, in a thousand pieces, fractured beyond repair, so I thought. I just didn't know how powerful God was. He's led me through this. He's led me. And for the, you know, it's like, I don't boast about anything. What I do boast about is what he did for me. He allowed me to hear when I couldn't hear. He allowed me to understand when I wouldn't understand. He allowed me to see my brokenness. I guess, you know, he just got to the point where he looked down and said, Joe Bear, you've had enough. I got plans for you. And he has for every person in here. So now I see what's got to be fixed. I see the character that is completely broken. And I'm willing to have that guy. You know, when I got here, 
I hated me so badly, I wanted to die. I wanted to take myself. I wanted to take my life. I really wanted to take my life. I didn't want to be here anymore. I didn't want to breathe another day. I couldn't stand another minute of me or this world. I hated it. Little did I know that he had other plans. And by bringing me through this, he gave me the opportunity to have that guy die. He doesn't exist anymore. Six is all about being willing to have that guy die every day. And humbly asking him because I, I, can't, I can't change me. I am incapable of getting why. This is really the partnership part. This is where we, you know, caterpillar with butterfly transformation, profound alteration in our reaction to life. This is it. This is it. Nothing happens until we do five. So I tell people when they do five, welcome to recovery. Now the work begins. What are you talking about? Yeah. Albert Einstein said a problem cannot be solved by the same mind that created the problem. And I believe he knew what he was talking about. But I had to experience it. I had to try and make me non-lustful. I had to try and make me non-judgmental. I had to make, try and make me non-critical. It's impossible. It's so deep-seated and deep-rooted in me. I want to feel right and make you wrong. And when you're wrong, I want judgment. When I'm wrong, I want mercy. That's the way I am. I'm broken. And I need him. Humility is not something that you talk about. It's an expression. It's simply the expression that you can't and he can. What do you see in me? What do others see in us? What do they hear in us? If you're telling me you're humble, you go sell that stuff to somebody else. I'm not buying. Show me, right? Humility. Asking God to remove these things because I can't. It's humanly impossible for me. But the difference today versus the difference of when I was recklessly in full bore abandonment of all that stuff and just did it to the fullest, today I don't want to. Today I desire to be different. Today I desire not to be judgmental. Today I desire not to be you know, critical. Today I desire not to cut corners or steal or lie or cheat or embellish or any of those things. I don't want to be a lustful human being. I don't want anything to distract me or separate me from him. I'm lost when that happens. I can get in an earthly moment. I mean, there's only one thing that gets us separated from him. One little bitty thing. The world. Just the world. The whole freaking world will take me away from him every time as soon as I start to focus on it. This is all about getting balance. Where am I getting? How am I? I don't want just sobriety. I want emotional sobriety. I want to be able to be fit emotionally, good and bad times. I want to be able to have and draw on his ease and comfort rather than from you acknowledging me or thinking I'm popular or thinking I'm a badass or whatever it is. 
the validation from human beings. I want comfort to come from Him. And I have found that He will offer it and give it freely in abundance every moment of every day as long as my focus and my frame of mind is focused in the right places. You see, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong with the world. There's, he, he gave it to us. There's nothing wrong with having, you know, money, cars, possessions. The problem is when I start to worship it, when it becomes more important than Him. They say the central fact of our life is the absolute certainty that God has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. That he's commenced to accomplish those things for us that we could never do for ourselves. Today I'm a man of integrity. I didn't even know what keeping your word meant when I got here. Nobody trusted me. Nobody called me at 6 o'clock in the evening and says, Hey, I'm flying in at 3 o'clock in the morning. Would you pick me up? Nobody would do that. wonder why. You know what I'd say? I'll try. Next. I was never my word. I had no integrity. I had no honor. I had no commitment. I had no discipline. I was completely irresponsible, completely unaccountable. I didn't care. All I wanted was immediate satisfaction. That was me. Ease and comfort. And I would do whatever I had to do to you to get it. Right? So through this process of being willing to have that guy die and have God take me to better things and, 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 and be motivated to do that and surrounding myself with people that would stand for me and not sell out on me and expect something more from me than I would of myself, things started to change. I started to have this sense of this, that God was in my life, that, that I felt this protection, this, this, this movement, this, you know, this, this, this comfort, this partnership, that it was real. And then my sponsor sent me out to make amends. There was a little trial and error there for me. Being willing to give up the old guy and start being this other guy, these, these other things, these other attributes. Because if I'm going to go make amends, you better know they better see something different and hear something different. It can't be the same old, I'm sorry, got 20 bucks. I need this, I need that, I can't do it without this, I can't do it without them. Nauseating. And amazingly, I started to feel like a free man. Do you know that through the process of amends, the phase, the men's phase, we will go through this thing and all of a sudden the past cannot hurt you anymore. Do you know what it's like to be free from the bondage of the past, where the past does not dictate your future anymore. You live moment to moment to moment. My sponsor, Pat, talks about being rocketed into the fourth dimension. He likes to say we're rocketed into now. We're not living in yesterday. We're not dwelling in tomorrow. Only alcoholics and drug addicts got to get rocketed into now. Right? And then we could just continue. Ten is all about continuing. Continuing to take inventory, monitoring myself, monitoring my appetites, my desires. Where am I parked? What am I seeking? What am I chasing? What do I think I need? What do I, you know, 
Where's my balance? Is it, is, it, is it in proper proportion here? Are my priorities right? And am I talking to people about it? When I get caught up in it, am I talking to somebody about it? Whether it's my sponsor or Mike or whoever, it doesn't matter. I'm telling on myself. I'm out of whack here. This one did this and ba 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 ba. Well, what part did you play, Joe? <clears throat> well, you know, it's but it's healing. It gets me back to being centered. And then I do nothing more than after I talk to somebody about it. I commit to change. Let me be better than I was yesterday. Ask God for help and make amends where necessary. They say that we enter the world of the Spirit. And our next function is to grow in effectiveness and understanding. How do I do that? Four through nine, all the time. Inventory, discussion, commit to change, ask God for help, and make amends where necessary. So when I go to bed, I don't wake up with an emotional hangover the next day or any of the excesses of yesterday's negative emotion. I am clean to be productive and effective that day. Because only then can I carry this message. I think a lot of the message today is like, where'd that come from? That's not my AA book. I think that's in that BB book. Or the CC book, but not AA book. To grow in effectiveness and understanding. How do I grow in effectiveness? To desire to be better. Right? To coach and help other men. To be an example of what it's like to be these steps, be the essence of these principles in my life. Am I all the time? Are you kidding me? I'm broken. I can't do without him. And I can't do it without a group of people around me wanting more for me than I want for me. I have champions in my life. Leaders in my life. I don't want scarcity. I don't want to sell out. I don't want to live mediocrity. I just don't. I want outrageousness. I want to know what's possible. We're all unlimited. Magnificent. And then I can take it outside the rooms of AA because we get this to take out there. Mission field is out there. Right? Taking it out there. And everybody will hit a wall. If you think that all you got to do is just sponsor people, read the big book, go to meetings, that's all there is, you're mistaken. There's a whole world of spiritual pursuit out there that will take you Higher and higher and higher. They say it. They tell us to do that. Go back to church, Joe. My sponsor, Pat, he says, yeah, they, my sponsor told me, he says, go back to, go back to the child, church of your childhood and leave for a good reason this time. Wow, what a concept that is. Right? <sighs> Seeking, meditating, communicating, committing, and just... Being in awe of the magnificence and love of God that he would see fit to put us here and bring us here and carry this message, this message to those that are sick and dying. Who am I being, right? And to practice these principles in all my affairs. The 12 12 traditions about spiritual anonymity. It's not about who I see here or what I say here. No, 
spiritual anonymity is that when I walk through that door, I leave my personality in the parking lot because that serves nobody. What I bring in here is my principles to the best of my ability. I'm not perfect. I'm a broken man. But thank God we have a program that leads us to a relationship with a God who adores us. Thanks. Please help me thank Joe one more time. Can I have Heather come up and do our secretary's report? Hi, my name is Heather, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Heather. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. I have asked Matt to come up and read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Recovered alcoholic, Matt. Matt. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. (laughs) No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forty style big book sponsorship from forward to second edition Alcoholics Anonymous of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried 50% sobered at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe and experience is that God has not changed over time and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Can I get a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Anyone need a sponsor? Please raise your hand. Okay. Um, Please join us Monday nights, Big Book Study Meeting, where the fellowship comes alive. Fellowship is at 6.30. The Big Book Study starts at 7.15. Um, In the back, we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, the little red book, and big book dictionaries for sale. Uh, This weekend is the weekend of the Fellowship of the Spirit. It'll start tomorrow at 5.30 and end Saturday night at 9. I think uh, I heard Mickey and Maria are already in town, so that's exciting. And then we have the inner group. If you need to get some literature, go to the... um, office and check it out. We have plenty of volunteer opportunities. I know that the convention is uh, right around the corner and everyone's getting excited for that. Chris Raymer's coming into town. Um, actually, he's not coming to town. He's going to Jensen Beach, but sounded good. Uh, we have Chapters in Recovery, and that is down in Miami. Um, that's a really amazing fellow or conference. They've been going on for a couple of years now, 
And um, if you need to do service or anything like that, there's definitely plenty of opportunities. Just check out a lot of the <laughs> the uh, flyers on the back. We meet here every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. I'll see you all next week. Thank you, Heather. Um, we have tonight's session and all the past speakers' podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org if you want to go through Joe's amazing session uh, or any of his past sessions. Uh, thank you so much, Joe. Uh, I really enjoyed hearing, uh, hearing you this, uh, this time. Uh, next week, we have Peter M. starting. Uh, if you've never heard him talk before, he's, he's really something special. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study on the third floor upstairs. Uh, fellowship begins at 6.30 and the big book study begins at 7.15. Uh, those who would like to thank Joe, please line up down the center aisle uh, closing this meeting. Uh, please join me in a moment's silence followed by the Lord's Prayer. Who can take us from shame to grace? Our Father.